Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Put that down. Hello? Hello? All right, kids, here we go. Next seminar up February 17th through the 19th, then April 14th through the 16th. For training camps on the list, we have our self-sufficient lifter camp on January 14th in Wichita Falls. Then we have a few spots left for our lift shoot fight camp. That's a two-day camp in Wichita Falls on December 17th and 18th, covering all of the lifts, some firearms instruction, and combatives. For squat and deadlift camps on the list with spots left, we do have Boston, Massachusetts just added to the list at Starting Strength Boston on January 21st, Long Island January 21st as well, and Cincinnati and Starting Strength Cincinnati on February 25th. We still have spots available also for our first ever camp done entirely in Spanish. That's January 21st in San Antonio, Texas. Folks, if you haven't heard yet, the Starting Strength shoe is available for reservation, pre-order, whatever you want to call it. If you're interested and want to take a look at it, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com forward slash boot. You can check it out, get your name on the list, get yourself a brand new pair of shoes. Speaking of starting strength gyms, we are still looking for coaches. So if you were looking to find out about the process, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com, check out the coaching tab, see what the qualifications are, what the prerequisites are, talk to Ina, make a new friend, figure out if you could be a starting strength coach. And lastly, Starting Strength Tampa has started their pre-sale. So if you are interested in that area, head over to tampa.startingstrengthgyms.com. Take advantage of the pre-grant opening sale price and get stronger. And as usual, for more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, we are here with our friends uh, Keith and Angie Nichols, uh, and uh, as we have, we've talked to Keith several times about hormone optimization, and uh, uh, we are going to talk to him today. And Angie is with us also because we're going to talk specifically about uh, hormone optimization for women. Now. When we talk to Keith about hormone optimization, most of the time we're talking about testosterone for men. But hormone optimization for women is a very well-established, although badly done, practice in, uh, oh, gynecology practices all over the world, I suppose. Uh Give I tell you what, you guys, I appreciate you being here. Give us a, a little bit of the history of uh, of women's hormone therapy in conventional gynecology practice because that's been around a very very long time, and uh, I think it's a you know it's it's a good thing because it got everybody used to the idea of taking hormones, right? But it's been approached in a bizarre fashion. Here at Fort. So let's let's discuss uh, 
to begin with the history of this of this therapy? Well, uh, testosterone has been used in women and hormones in general, estrogen as well, since the 1940s, just like in men. Mm-hmm. And so the problem came and whenever uh, the 2002 Women's Health Initiative came out and that really caused a lot of concern uh, among providers and among patients. So, but um, for many years, I mean, we have 80 years worth of literature that shows the beneficial effects of hormones for women. And uh, the beneficial effects for us is just the same as it is for men. We need so, it just as much as men, just not as much of it. Exogenous hormone therapy started off with just estrogen, right? Is that what, wasn't it Depot Provera? Wasn't that the name of the product that was, that was initially used? Well, I seem with to remember estrogen, that. yeah, with estrogen, it was Primarin, which is mm-hmm, conjugated equine estrogens. And so it contains 10% estradiol, which is the healthy, forever safe estrogen that our bodies make on our own when we're younger and in the reproductive phase uh, of life. But um, that's not the best form. But that's, that was mostly how it started. And that was the estrogen that was used in the Women's Health Initiative. That's mm-hmm. what got all the bad press. In other words, Primarin is made from pregnant air urine, therefore it's called Primarin. So it's predominantly made up of equine estrogens, which were much more estrogenic than estradiol, which is what a woman normally produces. Right. And thus the ascendance of the term bioidentical. <laughs> right. Uh, Correct. Right. I, I, I keep hearing that from the guys around here in town. Everybody's bioidentical. To distinguish from Primarin, I suppose. Well, what what that what that really it, it, the the wording gets uh, misconstrued. All bioidentical means is that the hormone that you're provided is in a chemical form that is identical to the hormone that you naturally produce in your body. Right. So sometimes they'll call it a natural hormone or a bioidentical hormone. It purely refers to the chemical structure. Well, so, like testosterone cypionate is uh, the the cypionic acid salt of testosterone. Mm-hmm. So it goes into uh, the solution. It's injected into the muscle belly, and it dissociates from the cypionic acid, and now it's testosterone, and testosterone is testosterone, right? Right. When you first inject it, it's not bioidentical per se, but once the ester is cleaved, it becomes a bioidentical hormone. That is correct. It's, and it's, there's not any other way to do it. So why are we talking about bioidentical? I mean, this is well, that's always there, just to well, get this out of the way up front. This right, right. bothers me. Well, okay, well, the bioidentical came about not necessarily from testosterone. Now, testosterone, you know, once again, when the ester is attached, that was to increase the half-life. We all know that the esters are all about half-life. You inject pure bioidentical testosterone as a half-life of minutes, so they had to attach an ester to sure. it. But you can actually apply bioidentical, pure, micronized testosterone itself, and you know the transcrotal cream like some of my guys use. It is just a pure form of testosterone. But where the bioidentical nomenclature really came in is due to the synthetic hormones that were produced by the pharmaceutical companies, you know, which were... Primarin and Provera. Mm. So Provera is the jox- medroxyprogesterone acetate. So it's not pure 
bioidentical or micronized progesterone. Progesterone is just progesterone. And the problem with that is that they did that because you cannot, you cannot uh, patent a hormone. You either right. have to make a unique delivery system sure. or you have to change the chemical structure. And the problem comes about is when you change the chemical structure of a hormone, you will change how it interacts in the body. Yeah. And therefore, some negative effects can occur, which is what happened in the Women's Health Initiative when we took a synthetic form of progesterone, really. That's what caused the problem. So the bioidentical just came about to explain the difference between a synthetic, non-identical to a identical. All right. So the Women's Health Initiative, let's let's talk about the history of that. What what was that and what did it do and whose idea was it and what the hell was going on? So the Women's Health Initiative was done back in 2002. And so they wanted to see how effective Premarin was in treating different disorders. They looked at how it affected memory. They looked at how it affected bone density. They looked at, at various different things. There were several arms of the study. So this but, study was, was sponsored by the manufacturer? It's actually was, was sponsored, I believe, by the NIH. And it's the most, actually, it's the was the most expensive trial I think that's ever been done. That's why they put so much weight into it because they spent literally millions of dollars on this trial. Hmm. Yeah. So the estrogen arm of the study, which was real Primarin, which again, 10% estradiol, healthy, forever safe estrogen that we make on our own with all these different equine estrogens. So when you give a, a female, a human female, uh, a horse estrogen, of course, the potency is stronger than what the human body really could or should tolerate. But even with that said, well, the can't estrogen- they just dose it down? Well, but equine estrogens are not natural to the female body. So when you get those potent horse estrogens in there, mm -hmm. it's going to cause problems. So, um, but well, even with well, that said, let me, let me explore that with you a little sure. bit further. When, uh, if the, if the potency cannot be adjusted down with, with dosing, in other words, the do the receptors in in humans see that equine estrogen differently than uh, normal female estradiol? And if they do, can that not be a, accounted for with dosing? Well, you could do a, a minimal effective dose, but still, yeah. you're not uh, injecting a pure estradiol which a woman naturally produces so when you start in, in injecting you know equilinin and, and all these other horse estrogens even in a lower dosage it's going to have a much more estrogenic effect and so what ultimately happened in the women's health initiative is these women were already past menopause they were asymptomatic right. so this was an older group of men, women and it was really a, a secondary study not a primary study but nonetheless what ultimately happened mark is that these women had an increased incidence of stroke and heart attack. And what happened was these women, because they were older and had been devoid of their hormones for several decades before the study even was performed, they already had pre-existing plaque. And so when these women that were... Arterial plaques is what you're talking right, about. Right. Correct. Yeah. When they were greater than... These women that were older than 60, 
or were more than 10 years out of menopause. It was a very distinct subset of women that had these these adverse events. So there were women that were greater than 10 years out from menopause or older than 60 years of age. When they gave those women Premarin, then it did lead to some increase in you know adverse events, 30 per 10,000. They also had an increased BMI, most of them, and there were several, a lot of smokers that were Correct. in that uh, group that was given Premarin. So what really happened in that study is that when you give a more potent estrogen, it's once again, not estradiol that a woman naturally produces, what it did was it increased the enzymatic activity of what's called matrix metalloproteinase, which basically degraded the fibrous cap of a pre-existing plaque, and it caused those plaques to rupture, leading to these adverse events. Well, it did not happen in younger women. It only happened in women more than 10 years out of menopause or older than 60 years of age. In younger women, it had a protective effect. So, you know, the key about hormone optimization therapy is not let someone develop plaque. It's about prevention, as we've talked in previous podcasts. It's really about prevention of age-related disease. And there's a reason that cardiovascular disease becomes a woman's number one killer. They're protected from it when they're young because they have high levels of estradiol, right. for instance. But right. once they're devoid of it for a couple of decades, it becomes their number one killer. But those are all preventable. That's completely preventable with maintaining your hormones through the menopausal period. Uh, is Primarin completely devoid of estradiol? No, 10%. 10 to 15%. 10%. 10%. Estradiol. So it's manufactured to include right. 10% estradiol. So the, the adverse effects are from the other uh, estrogens that are in the, in the, in the blend. The, the literally horse estrogens. They're right. only unique to horses. So you put a horse estrogen Why in Why did these want, guys think happens. that would be a good idea? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, this, is, this, this is puzzling to me. That gets back to the fact that you can't patent estradiol. So the pharmaceutical companies couldn't make right. any money off of estradiol. Right, so, right, right. Well, that's that's fascinating. Uh, <laughs> the pharmaceutical companies, correct? Again, well, all right. all right. And so, you know, leading into the last thing on this is that where all the the you know hoopla came from was that the Provera, the synthetic progesterone, lead to an increased incidence of breast cancer. So that's where you hear that hormones cause breast cancer. It was from the synthetic. Progesterone. It was never the estradiol, not even the primarin. It was the It was the uh, hydroxyprogesterone acetate. It was the synthetic progesterone that caused the increase in breast cancers. Hmm. So, what is being administered now that we know all of this stuff? Is primarin still around? It is. it is, and it's shocking that it's still being used today. Uh, but with primarin only in that study. Um, when they used Primarin by itself, there was a 23% um, reduction in the rate of breast cancer, even with Primarin that we would never consider using in our practice. But there was a reduction in breast cancer when it was used alone. Um, there was also with the estradiol, there were, I mean, I'm sorry, the Primarin, there was only 30 out of 10,000 women that actually ruptured a plaque. Had it been one number less, they would have been deemed clinically insignificant, and we would have never even heard about it. But the much better option is to use just 100% estradiol, which is what we made on our own and what we lost at menopause. So, right. yes, it makes perfect sense. It would be too logical to do that. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, that's that's what we use, right. and that's all we would consider using. And once again, the devil's always in the details, Mark. As I reported about the Women's Health Initiative, it only caused problems in women with pre-existing plaque, and they were the ones greater than 10 years out from menopause right. or older than 60 years of age. And younger women that were given Primarin, it doesn't cause any problems. Right. How long because did it the take them to identify that demographic situation? It took a couple of years after the study was actually you know, uh, published that people started really digging into those details. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. So Primarin basically just facilitated the patent. And the patent Correct. protection facilitated the money. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. But in the, well, the just other as long as we all study, understand that, okay? I think it's terribly, terribly important in 2022 here to be, oh, cynical about this situation that we've gotten ourselves into. Mm-hmm. You know, we... Uh, we tend to talk a lot on this program about about things that would be uh, that would that would reveal our cynicism, and this is why. Because if you're not cynical, you're not paying any attention. Is the is the primary reason for this. So, uh, what you guys do is. Uh, if say somebody calls in, a woman calls in, and and you know, as a result of saying uh, have, having seen this program, she calls in. She said, "I'd like to talk to you guys about uh, about your program. What do you do?" So I do uh, consultations with women all day, every day, and so the first thing we need to determine is. What is their status? Are they menopausal? Are they not menopausal yet? Are they perimenopausal? Because the treatment for them is going to vary. And if you give the wrong things without, and we see it all the time, without really making that determination, then you can make the woman much worse. So that's the first thing that we do. And we do that uh, by utilizing blood work and a comprehensive uh, medical history. Let's say a 35-year-old gal calls you guys and she says, you know, I'm, I'm concerned uh, about some stuff. You know, I'm just uh, I'm feeling a little weird. My skin's dried. There's just some changes that I have been told might be related to my hormone status. What, what would you do for a 35-year-old as opposed to a 65-year-old? Well, we can have 35-year-old women that are actually menopausal because of a complete hysterectomy, or if they yeah. anything that can damage the ovaries, um, or hey, you know, it happens. So it can be a surgical, um, a surgical menopause. It can be chemo, radiation, smoking. All kinds of things can damage right. the ovaries. So the first question I would ask is, when was your last menstrual cycle? If she's having menstrual cycles, then the next question um, is is going to be just about um, menstrual history how their cycles have been. You want to know about that because we're screening for something called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a huge problem, the most common endocrine disorder among reproductive age women. So we screen for that. Um, But, and then if she says, well, I haven't had a menstrual cycle in two years, then we have to go a little further and say, okay, well, is that because you've had a uterine ablation or did you have a partial hysterectomy? And so if she says that she had an ablation or a partial hysterectomy, 
then we want to do some lab work to see are those ovaries still functioning. Mm-hmm. So we would draw an FSH and LH at that point to determine are the ovaries still functioning or not. It does actually occur occasionally that a 35-year-old woman uh, goes into actual biological menopause prematurely, right? Yes. So there mm-hmm. could be, that could have happened in the absence of any other pathology, right? Absolutely. Women in their 20s even we have that are menopausal due to surgery or or some other medical intervention. Right. And I, but I think what you might be leading into is the 35-year-old that is not menopausal, has not had any of those issues. Right. We get those phone calls day in and day out. So right. Angie can kind of tell you what she hears and what we hear because they're just like men they're so underserved they don't have anyone to go to they don't have a good outlet or resource even right. you know whether it be a forum or online either but they're no different than men no sexual desire no libido weight gain fatigue uh and the list goes on i mean they they will tell you i'm mean i you know my family doesn't want to be around me i know i've got issues but i don't right. know what they are my doctor tells right. me that Nothing wrong. Here's your antidepressant, and Here's so let Angie right, tell you some of the stories right. that she hears. So treating it, anti, treating with SSRIs instead correct. of with sex hormones. You know, you and I have spoken about that several times, and uh, that is just laziness and duplicity on the part of low-level medical practitioners. Is all it right. is. You know, I don't. I can't tell you how many guys that I know that are that have been handed a Prozac prescription instead of a testosterone prescription. And it's mm-hmm. just bizarre to me that this still goes on. And I guess it's I guess it's comforting to know that it happens to girls too, huh? I well, think it happens more equity, to girls, right? Hey, let's 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 something you may not realize, do you realize that a healthy premenopausal woman they have 15 to 20 fold higher testosterone levels than they even do estradiol. It is quite a woman's hormone too. They yep. don't need as much as men, yes, sir. but it is their most abundant gonadal hormone. Now you just, we've talked about this many times. Men can hardly get treatment. Now imagine women. Right, right. No, I, I could, the, the, the problem is, is, the problem is that uh, doctors are very badly educated. That's it. We're not educated that's, that's in this it. at all. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. They're yeah, very, very badly educated. School. They're not. Uh, uh, doctors are. It's just a general observation from a lay person. I guess you could consider me a lay person. Uh, doctors are trained. They're not educated. That is correct. That's that, and that's that's a problem. That is a problem. And when you consider that the medical schools are funded by the pharmaceutical industry. Of course, they're going to heavily influence what gets taught to these young physicians that are going to come out and prescribe their products. When you really when you that's consider that the FDA to. is funded by the pharmaceutical industry, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> that's kind of a problem too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We, yeah, we've got lots of problems, and I don't know that mm-hmm. that uh, there is a systemic solution to this. But I do know that there are offices such as yours that are approaching this correctly, and the 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 bottom line here is that you the patient need to take responsibility for these things yourself if something is wrong with the way you're being treated if something is wrong you you are 
you are receiving bullshit information, which is the norm, mm-hmm. and you have enough awareness to to realize that you are being lied to in the office or you're being underserved for whatever the reason. And you need to take action yourself and go somewhere else. You do not belong to the doctor. Your health does not belong to your doctor. It belongs to you. And, you know, this is, this is a, this is a profound problem. You know, mm-hmm. you've got all these people running around on SSRIs, and you you've just got a whole bunch. You know, probably what is the what is the prescription rate for SSRI across the population? Do you know? It's <laughs> something know. on the order of 40 percent. Yeah, it's wow. it's it's a big number. There's no doubt about it. Big number. And you know, the vast majority of the time, it's not it's not warranted. Right. You know, but that's what mm-hmm. makes everybody money. So that's what mm-hmm. gets done. So back to our 35 year old girl that calls you up. And uh, this girl is, uh, she's concerned, you know, uh, about her, about her attitude or behavior. She's a fucking bitch. All right. She knows she's a fucking bitch. And she doesn't want to continue to be a fucking bitch because that's tiresome it gets tiresome it gets tiresome to have bad relationships with your family and your friends and she has got enough sense to know that hormones are extremely important in terms of behavior so she calls you guys and what do y'all do let's say she's a normal post pre-menopausal 35 year old girl Mm -hmm. progesterone is going to be her best friend Right. And lots of progesterone. It is the calming, mood-stabilizing hormone. It enhances everything that's great about the estrogen that we make on our own, but it opposes or negates unwanted effects. And the unwanted effects of high estrogen can be, well, they call it the five Bs. Bitchiness, breakouts, bloating, bleeding. And breast tenderness. And breast tenderness. Mm-hmm. And that's the most common, really. But uh, these women are worn out and tired because they can't even stand to be around themselves. They know it's a problem, but they are powerless to do Ellen, anything what about do you it. Think causes, let, this is an important question. What do you think causes low progesterone? Aging. Aging causes it. Well, also, she's 35. PCOS causes it. Well, we start to lose our hormones even beginning at age 35. I was mm-hmm. 36 when I started uh, hormone therapy. And progesterone made a huge difference in in how I felt and how I functioned and how you can deal with stress right so progesterone would be one of her best friends testosterone most likely she's going to need and thyroid would be big for most women in that age category and Mark to answer your question insulin resistance PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome is the most common disorder out there and it's the most underdiagnosed so most of these women have undiagnosed PCOS and if they don't ovulate you can't produce progesterone. So you have to be able to ovulate to produce progesterone. So, a lot so of these the, women the are, natural secretion of progesterone is a function of the ovulation cycle. Correct. Correct. Right. So uh, this obviously indicates that postmenopausal women need progesterone. Absolutely. Right. Obviously. They will have so, zero progesterone. Right. Yes. So uh, what causes 
polycystic ovarian disease? So insulin resistance is the root cause and it is genetic. So you can't cure it, but you can manage it through so lifestyle this is a factors. Function of pre-diabetes, basically. Yes. Or, di- or full-blown actual type two. Right. If it is not addressed, it will it will lead to that. That's why it's so important to identify it early and take action to treat it. Because if you don't, the long-term health risks are cardiovascular disease, breast cancer, um, obesity, and everything that goes along with that. So all of this that would be mitigated by exercise that yes. that controls uh that that mitigates glycolytic uh pathology which is diabetes uh right. isn't it strange how it always comes back to how it's real bad to sit around on your ass mm-hmm. isn't that interesting so uh sure so if you have uh if you're a 35 year old girl and you're just not feeling very good uh, if you'll start training, things are going to improve. And a whole lot of things may improve that you don't expect to improve. Right. Right. And you'd be amazed at these 35-year-old women that come in here with basically no testosterone at all, Mark. Not only do they not have the, enough progesterone, but they lack testosterone. And so amazing. What was amazing if you brought a 35-year-old woman in that wanted to do starting strength, but when we measure testosterone, it's essentially non-existent. And then you give her testosterone, then she goes into training. And she then has the increase in lean muscle mass, strength, endurance, exercise tolerance, healing capacity. But I mean, it just changes their life just like it does a man. Yeah. And so and that's why I tell everyone that really what we do is no different than what you do in that, you know, you you have to be consistent in what you do. You just don't walk into the gym in your Texas weightlifting shoes and get strong. You have to put work into it. You have to put the effort into it and then you'll get somewhere. Uh, the same goes with hormones. You have to do them and do them consistently, and then you will get all the reap all the benefits by being consistent with it, having optimal levels. Well, it, it's it, it's an interesting thing that a lot of people think that you can just take some hormones because your hormones are low, without stopping to think about why your hormones are all screwed up. The reason your hormones are all screwed up is because there's a whole bunch of other problems that have resulted in your situation right now that are that are probably within your control. Not everybody needs a hormone intervention. But if you do need a hormone intervention, it might be prudent to ask why. And why would be lifestyle related. Right now, you might have, you know, drawn a bad hand and have got some pathology. That's not your fault. But the vast majority of insulin resistance in both the male and the female population are the result of sitting around on your ass. And that's just all there is to it. Insulin resistance is a function of sitting around on your ass. Because, We've heard me preach it. it. You've got to have nutrition and exercise. You, you have to be eating correctly, component. and you can't sit right. around on your ass because that's right. not natural. Now, that's not natural, okay? Right. Getting to sit around on your ass is not natural. And that's when correct. you correct that and you clean up your diet and you stop eating a bunch of carbs and a bunch of goo and you, and, and you start training, moving around, 
challenging yourself physically, things normalize. Things tend to normalize. Now, if hormone therapy facilitates that intervention, then do it. Right. And you in know. someone with PCOS, they probably, you know, you can definitely lessen severity of symptoms through diet and exercise, no doubt about it. But they also once it's gone to that thyroid. extent, though, yeah. you know, and they produce less right. thyroid, which means they're more fatigued. And when they're more fatigued, they're, they're it's more difficult. It's harder for them to get to the gym and do things. And then they don't see results from it because they don't have the hormones there to support that. So in women with PCOS, the, the four things that mostly are needed now, diet, exercise, of course, at the top of the list, but also thyroid and progesterone. They've got to have those because they're just their body is not equipped to make it because of a genetic, you know, predisposition. Mm-hmm. But um, so metformin when, possibly. When you guys do these tests, what percentage of uh, of women in the various demographics present with low thyroid? How common is that actually? Gosh, I would say eighty percent, eighty to ninety percent of women. And why do you think that is? Well, I think it is environmental, but I think it's also related to diet and nutrition. <laughs> I mean, nutrition and exercise, as you've pointed out. So it's multifactorial, but it certainly right. certainly occurs. But I, there is an environmental. You, you think it's got to do with iodine deficiency? Well, not just that, but I do think it's once again we're getting back to those uh, those toxic chemicals that we're all exposed to from the nonstick frying pans to the plastics, you name it. Their makeup products, they're, they've all mm-hmm. they're all affecting. They're just wreaking havoc on men and women's you know, hormones, unfortunately, but that, but you know, look, they come in with it and you can correct their nutrition, get them exercising, but look, they never improve significantly until they're given their hormones back in an adequate amount. Um, they're extremely fatigued. You know, these women come in and they, they literally are exhausted all the time. You know, right. they have, they have no sex drive. They're extremely fatigued. And, and so that's, that's what it's really all about. It's, it's, it's treating those symptoms, resolving the symptoms, and improving their quality of life and along with their health. And that's really what we're, we're looking to do, that 35-year-old as, as well, as the 65-year-old. Right. And in, in an older demographic, 65-year-old woman, is what percentage of those girls are uh, hypothyroid, would you say? I would say same, same percentage. Yeah, I would too. I always Very say this. Percentage. I say I say Very this high. to women all the time, and I've said it to men about their wives. Look, it seems from a clinical standpoint that thyroid to women is what testosterone is to men. It, I mean, thyroid is what changes a lot of these women's life, even more so. They oh, they benefit from the testosterone, no doubt about it. But it seems to be they thrive on that thyroid. It, it's an important part. Uh, you know, even their their ovulation, you know, thyroid is, is affects literally every cell in the body. So men love their testosterone. You know, not every man needs thyroid, no doubt about that. But with women, it's kind of reversed there. Every woman, most women, they really thrive on having their thyroid optimal. Right. And uh, what percentage of, of women do you guys decide to treat with testosterone? Everyone that wants it. Oh, they, Unless they, it's a young they woman need to request that it from you? you don't suggest it? Oh, we do. Well, of course, if they come in symptoms, we're treating symptoms first and foremost. But if we're treating a young woman with PCOS in her 20s or her teens, of course, we're not. They don't need testosterone. We're talking about mature, middle-aged, and older women. Who are and when you measure 
showing up was essentially zero test on their on correct the correct correct yes we're, we're still talking about that middle age and older population they pretty much are all on it because they don't have any and they have all the symptoms of an efficiency so they're treated but if we have a, a woman in her teens or 20s that's of childbearing age and then they're, they're being treated for usually PCOS at that for at that age and we're not providing them with testosterone at that age unless they're right. completely deficient. so when you put some testosterone in a 55 year old girl who's showing zero testosterone on the test what happens to her her life changes everything it, is different in fact <laughs> yes it does. It, it does yes absolutely I get to hear calls from women all the time. I got one today. She's been with us for seven years, and she we were just doing an annual re-enrollment. We have lots of those that we just see once a year because everything stays nice and steady and stable, and so we check in with them once a year. They do blood work, make sure everything is good. And she said, I just cannot believe how dramatically different I am now versus how I was when I first met you because of hormones, and she's menopausal. And, you know, we... I'm privileged to get to hear those stories from women all the time. You know, it's given me my sex drive back. It's given me my relationship with my husband back. It's, you know, helped me with, uh, you know, endurance and not being a frail, weak, little old lady. And we have right. ladies in their 80s and 90s uh -huh. that benefit from it just the same. That is, the, you know, but they want you on Lipitor. Mm -hmm. they, they want you on Prozac. I, you know, I, I I was just looking this morning on the board. I work on the board on my Q and A quite a bit, and uh, we've got several forums on there. And uh, uh, a guy wrote in. I did a I did a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago with Doctor Malcolm Kendrick, and uh, Malcolm is a has been writing for a very, very long time about the cholesterol <laughs> bullshit. You know, it's just a, an amazing uh, story of medical malpractice. The statin drugs industry is just an amazing uh -huh. thing. Uh -huh. And uh, his, uh, his daughter who is a high-level 17-year-old athlete. Uh, she's a, a swimmer, and uh, she rows crew. I mean, this girl's a beast. And, uh, and she is, she's got significant muscular body weight. I mean, she's, you know, like 5'7". Oh, 175, something like that. So, for some bizarre reason, he didn't have enough sense to keep her out of the doctor's office. So, they do uh, their standard blood, and uh, they weighed her, and at her height, you know, at, at 5'7", 175, she's apparently uh, offensively obese, and... Uh, <laughs> Her cholesterol came back. Now, I am not making this up, okay? I, this is, I've heard this several times, okay? Her cholesterol comes back, total cholesterol, at 205, and they wanted to put the little girl on a goddamn statin drug. 
I, I'm telling you, we've got – there is absolutely no indication for any female with even wildly elevated serum cholesterol to be on a statin drug. They're of no benefit whatsoever. There's only downside. But Correct. these idiots – these idiots and people who are unaware of the facts are subjected to this kind of medical malpractice every day, all day long, all over the world, all over the country. And it's, it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Sure. Yet a guy goes in, a guy goes in with a testosterone level of 325 to his GP and I, nope, it says here you're normal. <laughs> no, I can't, can't give you anything that says you're normal. This here thing right. says you're normal. Mm-hmm. You know, look, if I was normal, why would I be here? Right? Why would I have right. just taken, you know, a, what could have been, I could have been doing something other with this two hours, like having fun, you know, like, you know, driving around or shopping or, you know, looking at porn or whatever. But here I am in your doctor's office, and you're telling me I'm normal because this number says something. Mm-hmm. And I, I, That's right. You know, I, it's just it's terribly frustrating. It, it really well, is. Yeah, yeah. You, you should sit in our seat every day. You better believe it. And speaking oh, yeah. of that, I agree with you on the statins. I, 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 I do agree. Because uh, a lot of people don't num- realize that statins decrease your testosterone by as much as half. And so that's going to increase your insulin resistance, which is going to predispose you to type two, to type two diabetes. So your cholesterol numbers may look better, but you know but, you're going to. But, but cholesterol numbers looking better sure. is yes. a, is a real interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because they have they have lowered consistently over the years the reference range for total cholesterol till they've got that's it down cool. to the point where they want everybody hyper hypo cholesterol cholesterol is good for you cholesterol is an extremely important compound in the human body it comprises a huge percentage of your soft tissue it's supposed to be there we use it for important things like cell membranes that's right and 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 collagen repair and all kinds of things that cholesterol is supposed to be there for. But Mm -hmm. these people have done to the general population the same thing that the climate change people have done. The climate change people have got a whole generation of scientifically illiterate people believing that carbon, the element carbon, is a deadly poison. The fourth most common element in the physical universe has got to be eliminated from the environment. <laughs> right? Yeah. And th- they've done the same thing with cholesterol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cholesterol is not a deadly poison, boys and girls. Cholesterol is an extremely important component. I would far, far rather have a cholesterol, a total cholesterol of 350 than a total cholesterol of 135. Because if I've got a total cholesterol of 135, I'm dying. 
<laughs> I'm dying very soon of something bad. There's a lot of truth to that. And in the sense of, like Angie pointed out, when you start interfering with physiology like that, there's going to be a downstream effect. And when there you is always. You block testosterone, and when you do that, you lose lean muscle mass, increase insulin resistance, increase visceral body fat, and you develop type 2 diabetes. That's why it's a side effect of statins. But people don't think about that. You, so, you cannot perturb one level of human physiology. You cannot perturb one thing. That's not how it works. And but that's your GP doesn't do is, know that. Right. That's right. And that's why what we do doesn't. All we simply do is raise levels of your naturally occurring hormones. Of things that are supposed to be there. And we're not changing any physiology. We're not changing, you know, anything other than giving you healthy, optimal levels like you had supposedly when you were younger. And that's really what it's all about because it provides us with tremendous health benefits. Right. You see it every day, too. It's as you simple know, as that. I try to explain it to people. It's that simple. It, it really is that simple. Uh, you know, that it's simple. You, nobody has ever suffered from abnormally low levels of a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. <laughs> people suffer from abnormal level, abnormally low levels of shit that is supposed to be there, like testosterone and estradiol and progesterone. Those are the things that are supposed to be there. So when we add those back in, we're not doing the same thing as writing you a no. prescription for a compound manufactured by Pfizer. That is correct. A hundred percent fact. hundred percent fact. You know, this, this really. See, and what these hormones also do is prevent, prevent osteoporosis. They prevent many of these age-related diseases, which we still make billions of dollars on every year, treating those diseases, which the majority of are preventable with nutrition, well, yeah. exercise, and hormones. What is the substance that they give women uh, uh, to supposedly counteract osteoporosis? Okay, so you're talking, now you're talking about the bisphosphonates. Yeah. I usually use that as an example of how women are so mistreated in medicine. Yes. So. So osteoporosis is about a $25 billion a year or more industry. Think about all the women that fracture their hip every winter. Every, you know, they end up in a hospital. They have the orthopedic surgeons make a fortune. Hospitals make a fortune. A lot of them end up never going home. They get right. into, into go, have to go to the specialized care facilities. So there are literally billions of dollars spent on the treatment of osteoporosis and its complications. The treatment guidelines for osteoporosis are to say you treat a woman once she becomes at high risk or already has it. Yes. And one of the treatments is the bisphosphonates, which don't prevent osteoporosis. They'll just slow the bone loss. And they slow do bone loss. Okay. They don't, they they don't replace bone mineral. They do now, not replace the bone. They do and, not reverse it. What is so loss. bizarre is that no one will talk about the, the fact, the established fact, that the thing that replaces bone mineral loss is lifting weights. Lifting weights normalizes bone mineral density. Now, it takes, you know, a couple, three, four more months than maybe you have the patience to do. But, uh, you know, we, we know for a fact that one year squats and deadlifts produces normal bone mineral density in an osteopenic female. 
every single time. It's not, it, it's not that it can. It's that it does. Right. Right. It's that it does. Well, and, well, and if you if take you, a female without the adequate building blocks, it's going to be tough in an older female that's been menopausal for a while because she doesn't have the transport system to create bone because she doesn't have the testosterone, the estradiol. Right. Those are the transport systems but, that actually... But all of that also responds to the training. Correct. Oh, yeah. my All of that also responds to the transport yeah. mechanisms are inactive because they don't have to right. be active, but we're going to make them active by requiring her bones to support a load. We so put a moment again, load and a compressive load on her bones, right. and she responds to that force production task by growing bone mineral density because she has to. She as as her muscles improve in force production capacity, the transport mechanisms for that force production capacity, which are the skeletal components, densify because that's just what's already in there. Now, she may not be uh, consuming enough vitamin D. So we're going to talk well, to her about a diet. You know, sure. we, we're going to we're going to take her off of some medications that are actually physically harming her in that respect, like SSRIs, uh, like statins. Correct. Statins are there. There is eventually going to be the biggest class action lawsuit in the history of the visible universe with regards to statin drugs. How many doses of osteopenia have been produced by statins? Millions and millions of them. And that's a that's gonna come out because greedy lawyers are gonna tell us about it one of these days. Right? But there's a drug for that when that happens. Right, right. There's a drug for that. Okay, you see what you see where I'm going yeah. with that. that oh, I do. I, I, I totally okay. agree. Nothing so ever me... leaves the GP's office Correct. without a little piece of paper that takes you let to me... a pharmacy and Pfizer. Let me piggyback you know. on what you just said to hit home all the points, because it really is, once again, pointing out the importance of nutrition, yeah. exercise, and adequate hormones. So back to osteoporosis real quick. It's a $25 billion a year industry. That is completely preventable. It is 100% preventable. 100%. For about $10 a month. Literally, if you don't let a woman ever get rid of her estradiol, she won't become osteoporotic. Now, let's add the fact that if a woman sits around, doesn't eat right, just takes estradiol, doesn't move, doesn't exercise, could she become osteoporotic? Possibly, but think about this. Sure. This is the point that I'm trying to drive home. Is that, let's just say a person is going to eat a very nutritious diet. Let's say this this 65-year-old woman comes into your gym and she's osteopenic. Who is going to respond better to your training? A woman with optimal testosterone, estradiol levels, or the woman with basically zero of both? Oh, no, the, 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 really the hormone-optimized woman gains? is going to respond better. But let me make this very, very important point. Osteopenia is a function of skeletal loading, and that's all. Well, absolutely. All right. In other words, you if you the take blocks. a woman with who is not optimized hormonally and you bring her into the gym, and we start her off on deadlifts and squats and presses and load her skeleton, she is going to respond 
positively in terms mm-hmm. of her osteopenia recovery, even in the absence of hormone optimization, because the loading is the direct stimulus for bone mineral density. Now, we will always suggest that that girl optimize her hormones, but the, the physiology of the situation is that stress recovery adaptation is the cycle that is in that is in in play here and that is facilitated if that's facilitated by by hormones then some hormone optimization will take place endogenously now i would i have absolutely advocated for exogenous hormone that's why you and I are talking all the time. Right. Absolutely. You know, and it's there's nothing, you know, that I would ever say that would discourage people from, you know, getting their hormones optimized. I do it myself, obviously. Absolutely. Well, what you, know? you described is bone remodeling, and that's how it Bone remodeling is a function of stress. It's a function of loading. Bone remodeling is a function of loading. And... Uh, Oh, it's a, you know, Skeletal so Function really and Form is a real good book is, by Dennis Carter it, if you need to read that we, sometime. What we all do goes hand in hand is the key. To maximize health, maximize strength, to maximize bone mineral density, to maximize lean muscle mass, yes. to prevent frailty, it's nutrition, it's exercise, loading, and it's hormone optimization at right. middle age and above. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's just... It, if that sounds expensive to you, then you have not been exposed to the expense involved with having type <laughs> two diabetes. Right. You know, you have not. Or type two diabetes is ninety nine percent preventable. It is a voluntary mm-hmm. environmental <laughs> disease. <laughs> it's a right. voluntary. You have if you have got type two diabetes, then. You decided to have type 2 diabetes, basically. You just decided that that may not have been what you thought you were doing, but that's what happened. You decided to sit around on your ass, and if, you've got, if you're insulin resistant, you're going to have type 2 diabetes. And you're insulin resistant because you don't do anything with your body's stored glycogen. You don't make your muscles move with it. Correct. I, you know, this is... I mean, here we are in a very weird-ass position. It's 2022. The population of the Earth is not as healthy now as they were 200 (laughs) years ago, despite medical advances. Because of medical advances, it could be argued the population of the earth is less healthy than it was 200 years ago. Even a hundred, probably even 70. There are some very, very important things that have, that have happened over the past hundred years with respect to medicine. Penicillin is very, very important. Uh Penicillin fixes things that would kill you without it. Uh Right. Ivermectin is a very, very important drug depending on where you live because having five parasite infestations tends to run a guy down you know 
And ivermectin is one of the most important medical developments of the 20th century. It is absolutely essential, especially if you live in, in areas of the world where parasites are a problem. And we're, not, we're just now learning all of the other beneficial effects of that wonderful medication. And we're having to fight our own government to get it done. <laughs> and then you, aspirin. How many people have has aspirin enabled to go to bed and actually go to sleep? Because they weren't hurting so goddamn bad when they got crawled into bed. You know, these are very, very important things. But I'm going to tell you, the development of statins is not anything but a cash cow for the pharmaceutical industry. That's all it is. That's all it is. Statin drugs, Statin drugs have been shown to have benefit in one demographic group, and that is all. And that is men over the age of 55 who have already had a heart attack. And the mechanism of that beneficial intervention may not be the reduction of cholesterol. This is what a weird-ass position we are in here. Oh, yeah. You know? But what has shown that same man to decrease the incidence of another heart attack? It's testosterone. Those studies are all out there. And it's a perfectly natural substance. Absolutely. And yet you you wander into your GP's office Mm -hmm. and he'll tell you, well, no, prostate, you know, you you, you don't have testosterone, you have prostate cancer. (laughs) Uh, You know, what can you say in the face of such willful stupidity? What do you say? You know, and what he's going to say is, here, you need an SSRI. You're not feeling good. You need an SSRI. Let me write you a Prozac prescription. Well, y'all, you know, how do you tell someone that doesn't know what he doesn't know? I don't know. It's you know what point. I mean? That's the problem. That That's why we're having this podcast today. You know, we're trying right. to look, there's a, there's a very straightforward way to analyze these things. Are we recommending that you supplement some stuff that's already supposed to be there? Or are we recommending that you take a drug that is manufactured to ostensibly treat one problem and yet fucks all of this other stuff up too at the same time? You know, that is exactly. very that's well put. That is one true. or the other. It's one or the other. And that's all there is to it. And it is incumbent upon you, the patient, to think about these things. Okay? You think about these things. You don't go to a Prozac prescription when you're 65 years old and your testosterone is a two-digit. That's not what you do. You have to think about what is normal and what is not normal and who's making the money here. You know. And but these and you know, Mark, from a clinical standpoint, these patients will come in because they believe in their doctors and they believe in the system. Of course, and they will come in on a on a list on a list of medications. Now I don't even consider hormones they're hormones. Medication is as you've already eloquently put. They're foreign to your body. Your body's never seen it. Okay. But they'll come in on a list of medications, but yet they will fear hormones that's never been shown to cause harm in any randomized controlled trial to date. 
Testosterone never caused harm. Estradiol never caused harm. Right. Progesterone never caused harm. But yet they'll take these statins and other drugs that have caused harm. So they've been brainwashed into, into the Yes, they've know, been the taught they're obedient well and, serfs. They just right. they they just wore the damn mask. That's what they did. They wore the damn mask in the right? car because that's what they've been that taught to do. <laughs> that's how they've been taught to behave. Yeah. I've, I've told you this before. I got an old guy that plays in the band with us. He, you know, he's in his early seventies, has a stroke. He's on ten medications, ten different pharmaceutical preparations he takes every day. He has the stroke, and he comes home, and he's now he's on eleven. I don't even talk to him about it. It's pointless. <laughs> yeah, it's utterly, it's utterly pointless. You know, uh, it's pointless, pointless to discuss it. So you know, and you know, he's at this. You know, I've watched him go from a fairly healthy seventy-two-year-old guy to a little miserable, frail seventy-four-year-old man, and I can't do anything about it. So I just, I just put it out of my mind. Because you have to. we, you and I, don't have access to everybody, and we're never going to have access to everybody. But those of you people who are listening to this show, who are interested in actually doing something beneficial instead of just continuing to be consumers of medical industry bullshit. And don't call it the healthcare industry. It's got nothing whatsoever to do with your health. It is the medical industry. Think past that, please. Understand what we're telling you here. You know, some things are beneficial. And the more, uh, the closer you bring your life style and your all the things that you do back down to the level of primitive human existence, the better off you're going to be, all right? You need to be not sitting around on your ass. You need to be lifting heavy weights. You need to be doing things that make your heart rate go up. You need to be eating clean. You need to be eating a bunch of protein. You need to be getting enough vitamins and minerals and you, you need to do the things that we evolved to do, right? We did not evolve to sit around on our asses because that what, that's what got you eaten by the hyenas is sitting around on your ass. Now, we don't have hyenas anymore. Maybe a reduction, a reintroduction of hyenas into metropolitan New York would be a good idea. <laughs> I mean, after all, they did used to be there. So, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, it, it's frustrating when everything is so obvious and plain. Uh-huh. And it's and talking to most people is like talking to this table here. <laughs> they are not capable of processing the information. So uh, we're going to continue to have guests on this podcast like Keith and Angie and and we're going to continue to talk about these things and the whole point of this is to make you guys think about what you believe to be true think about it 
Don't let it fuck you up. <laughs> because it will. Okay. It will fuck make- you up. These people, you know, yeah. you're putting a 17-year-old a high-level athlete on a statin because her cholesterol is at 205. You know, and it's, uh, fortunately, dad knew better. Fired the doctor. But how many other people has he fucked up? An office full probably each day. Office full. A whole office full of girls on statins. I just, just astonishing. Yeah. As you said, patients have to be their own best advocate. I tell that to people all day long. Don't take my word for it. Don't take your physician's word for it. But I can send you as many studies as you want to read because what we do is evidence-based. It's all there. I mean, we've got 80 years worth of literature to support it. You guys, this is, this is, it's 2022. Once again, it's Mm -hmm. not like you haven't got access to information. It's not like 1968. It's 2022. You have access to the information. It'll take you 10 seconds to look up anything that we have talked about today. Do not believe us. But it's also important that you understand that you do not believe your doctor either. Verify. Trust, but verify. Okay. Question everyone but your mother. Question everyone but your mother and, and you know... Be kind of careful with that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk real briefly, just real quick, on the parallels of starting strength and what we do, hormone optimization. Let's talk about expectations because that can become a roadblock to a lot of patients. Look, Mark, a person doesn't come into starting strength with the – well, they may. But, you know, it wouldn't be realistic to come in and say, I'm going to start starting strength. And we're talking about let's take a 50-year-old female that's never lifted before, and she I plan on deadlifting – 500 pounds within three months. That would not be a realistic expectation. Well, it's, it's, but no one does that, though. I know, but but people do come into hormones and expect right. a miracle cure within a, a week or two or three or well, a month. Well, no, that that's a very good point. You know, this it's, is a process. Right. This is not an event. This is a process. And, 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 and not everybody is capable of dealing with that fact, are they? You know, we no. when we come in, sixty-five year old lady comes into one of our gyms. She's going to deadlift the first day, but it might be thirty-five pounds. You know, but right. the process is that next time she comes in, she's going to be deadlifting forty pounds, and then forty-five, and then fifty, and within a couple of years. That now 67-year-old lady is deadlifting 225. Now, this so the is a, because the process uh-huh. took two years, but the process works every single time it is applied. Every to single those, time. To those that are consistent and will stick with it for years. Yes. That's the problem. And so I've, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it one last time. The number one reason that people stop hormones around this world is because they didn't get the results they expected in the time frame that they wanted. They want what they want. They want it quick. It doesn't work that way. Just like you can't go in and deadlift 225 pounds the first month you're there. It ta- it's a process. 
it's going to take six months to a year for most women. And then it has to, and then it's an ongoing process to continue to reap the benefits and rewards, just like with starting strength. So you have it to be a, consistent. Right. You have to put the work in. It's not an event. It's a process. And that's a, Correct. that's a real good thing to tell people when, up front. You know, this is, mm-hmm. we're going to start you off lifting very, very light weights. But every time you come in the door, you're going to lift more than you did last time. Every single time. All of the exercises are going to be a little bit heavier. And you accumulate these effects. You accumulate them over time. And hormone therapy is exactly the same thing. Exactly the same. Exactly the same thing. You guys, with with hormone therapy, you are having a a perturbation on the current levels of tissue that you've got in your bodies, and the the improvements accumulate over time. Absolutely, that's a great analogy. And especially with women, because we start women low and slow because we want to avoid unwanted side effects. So we have to be a little bit more careful and do things differently in women. Men, we can give them a big dose of DHEA and uh, testosterone really quickly, and you can handle it. You don't care if you get an increase in beard or or body hair growth. That doesn't bother you. Females are going to be different. Yeah, females don't react well to that kind of thing. (laughs) No, we don't like that. uh, So... Uh, but it's the same thing. We start low and slow, so women will get a little bit slower response than, say, their husbands if they start right. together, and lots of couples do, just because of a different approach. Right. So your program and what we do, really, they're hand in hand. They're well, it's the, it's the, it, they're they perfect analogies. Yes, they are you perfect know, We analogies. are starting off, we are making a perturbation in what is a natural process, and we continue to increase the intensity of that perturbation, and what happens is an accumulation of benefits over time. It is a process. Correct. It is not mm-hmm. an event. And, I, you know, this is, you know, you guys have been given today a lot of things to think about. And I want to thank Keith and Angie Nichols for being our guests on the podcast today. Now, you know, there are some things... And we're not asking you to believe us, okay? We're not going to do to you what your GP did to you. We're not going to hand you a bunch of bullshit and say, well, hey, I'm a doctor. You know, no, we're just, look, we're just informed. And we're helping you to get informed, but verify everything we've said. Look it up for yourself. And see what you, what you think you can do about improving your own situation. All right. Well, thank uh, you for having us. Yes, thank well, you. We appreciate your being here. Your website is what? www.tier1hw.com. Tier1hw.com. You guys look them mm-hmm. up. All right. Keith and Angie, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next time on Starting Strength Radio.